Hello there. It's time for go to bed. It's seven o'clock. But I want to Thursday, stay up. August twelfth. Yes, Thursday, August twelfth. And earlier today, Ken, you said it would be the hottest day of the year, was it? Uh, one sure. of the one of the hottest. Uh, I think I think maybe we got, we got a little bit of a break today. Uh, but yeah, it's just been crazy. Lots of thunderstorms. We had a lot of downed branches in the area from the winds. It was a real scorcher. Yeah. Well, we've got all these weather fronts moving in, but then the you know the rain adds to the humidity when the temperature goes up, and it's just bonkers. Just bonkers. Fascinating. Bonkers. It's weather. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. Like we got yeah, some thank you. Thank standard, you. Standard fair lined up for everybody tonight. Go ahead, Suze. Oh, no, no. We're starting with the Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. That's yeah. exciting. We have another special treat, though. We have the, uh, the uh, Leo Zodiac sign we'll play before that. Yeah. Because we almost forgot the Leos. You can't forget the Leos. No. The Leos won't let you forget them. They'll bite you. They'll Um, bite you. Like lions. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we've had a a crazy busy week with uh, our eBay store. I know you guys probably don't necessarily want to hear about it, but I love talking about it. Suze loves talking about it. It it seems like it, it turned into... Time for go to bed and listen to us talk about reselling. Yeah, but it's it's, it's, it's you know it's fun to find out that there's value and stuff that people would normally throw away. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm I'm sick thinking of uh, of uh, some of my family members threw out some of my dad's VHS collection before I was able to get to it. And yep, um, I know because there are movies that I gave him that are gone that actually were worth some money. Um, but that's okay. As Susan and I mentioned before, we hit a really cool estate sale with a lot of merchandise, but we're not just selling that stuff. We're actually selling stuff that we've had for a while because of all these new listings, we're getting into the algorithm and, uh, with consistent listings, we're getting more sales. For example, we sold something that's been sitting in our store for a while from 1986 hamburger, the motion picture, (laughs) hamburger, the motion picture, a sexy comedy. It, and it, it's a it's a used it's, tested copy and it got uh, 50 smackers uh so there we go did. and uh then uh we sold uh, so just the the things that we sold in the last week uh a sealed copy of the the hulk the ang lee one a mm-hmm. dvd version of a used video of a video drum with james woods yuck and deborah harry um yeah. B- battle queen 2000 with julie strain yep. on vhs Two copies of The Sixth Day from 2000 starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Copy yep. of... Uh, uh, nope, that order got canceled. Somebody canceled the Alien 3. Uh, Star Wars Episode so 2 Alien Attack 3 of the Clones. is still up for grabs, guys. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars, oh, episode, for, oh. two, it's, uh, Star Wars episode 2 Attack of the Clones uh, Special Edition sealed on VHS. Sold yep. for a pretty penny. Spider-Man The Ultimate Villain Showdown VHS. Brand new. Yep. Sold. Uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse, Top Gun, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, Universal Soldier, Attack of the Giant Leeches, Starship Troopers again, Mm -hmm. 
Cyborg uh, got, ooh, I got $100 for a sealed copy of Cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. And uh, The Fifth Element on VHS sold for a decent amount. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, a used copy. We got a few bucks for that. The Dentist, starring Corbin Burnson, a horror movie yeah. from 1980, 1997. Um, that looks scary to me, shit. Elect- shit! Electra, um, Animatrix, uh, Daredevil, Pitch Black, mm-hmm. few few different uh, copies of Planet of the Apes, uh, yep. different, different um, original movies from the series, uh, Living the Life. Sold three copies of Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings sealed on VHS. Yeah. Bang, we sold, went out. Yeah, we sold amazed. The, the I'm go- amazed. Sold the Ghoul's Vault of Golden Garbage, autographed by horror host Ron Swede, the Ghoul. Uh, very nice guy. He yeah. seemed to be very excited about having some yeah. Ghoul, and he's not even in Ohio. Yeah, which Pract- is amazing yeah. to me. Practical Magic, uh, Mission Impossible yeah. sold uh, yeah. uh, that. Men in Black, Independence Day, and then our Holy Grail that started this whole thing uh, on August uh, sold on uh, August seventh was um, Beastmaster. Yeah. Beastmaster. Oh yeah, Beastmaster. Sealed. Yeah, we were very. Mark Singer and Tanya Roberts. We sold for three hundred and forty nine dollars. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Sells consistently. Yeah. Consistently for $350. Yeah. Sold cool. uh, sold uh, copies of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, The Mummy, uh, Cocktail. Yeah. This is all within the last Amazing. last week. Uh, Matrix Reloaded, Scorpion King, Sons of Liberty, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, I, I talked about that last Friday. Yeah, uh, so check out Voodoo Total Zombie Rico. Boutique. If you do want to support Ken and Sue's working together, yeah, and we are getting more more Blu-rays and DVDs uh, up there. Yeah. So, but anyway, there there we go. That so yeah, we're anyway. we're excited because we're finally. I think I might be able to uh, resign from my job, but we just got to find health care. We'll see. Um, yeah. We're finally, uh, you know, we're consistently listing stuff and becoming uh, self-employed. So it could happen. Yeah, it, it could. could happen. We so, could be, could have our own business. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do already. We do. But, we do. Know, we're just uh, building it up. Anyway, all right. So here we go for all you Leos. Here's your uh, hippie horoscope. Ooh. July 23rd through August 23rd. Those of you born during this period, your sign of the zodiac is Leo. It is a fixed fire sign, meaning steadfastness of purpose and zeal, enthusiasm, aspiration, courage. The symbol of your sign is the lion, king of the forest. The ruler of your sign is the sun. The gemstones recommended for you born under the sign of Leo, ruby or sardonyx. The colors you will probably find most harmonious are orange and gold. Your day of the week is Sunday. You, born under the great sign of Leo, are proud, filled with vitality, trusting, affectionate, generous, and creative. We'll examine those traits and the traits on the negative side of your sign. Uh Uh-oh. First, the positive. People are attracted to you like pieces of steel to a magnet. 
Your regal bearing, natural charm, and attractive personality almost literally magnetize those with whom you come in contact. And you have the power to lead those people. You get to some part of them that makes them want to follow you. What is the basis for this attraction? Your natural, inborn love of people. Your complete faith and trust in humanity. Your good nature. Your zest for life and living. All these contribute to your well-rounded personality. Diplomacy is another great characteristic that is native to you. And you possess a marvelous sense of humor. Friends recognize your kindness and generosity. Though occasionally you are too generous. Your heart rules your head. You're a perfectionist in your work and you have a driving ambition to be at the head of the class. You want the sun to shine on you at all times. And with proper self-discipline, it can and will. That's particularly true if you really work at developing the powerful creative forces you possess. On the negative side of your sign, we find you are particularly susceptible to flattery. Your regal quality can become at times a bit patronizing, something to guard against, as is a slight tendency toward being a tyrant or dictator. Remember what happened to Napoleon? Well, he was a Leo. Occasionally you view the world through very naive eyes. You become too trusting, too ruled by your heart. It can be a dangerous quality. Romance and marriage are also dangerous areas for you. You are very affectionate if your love is returned with the same intensity. However, you sometimes create the feeling that you're just giving the other person a break. Your insistence on being the center of your home life sometimes verges on the insufferable. The king syndrome in you surfaces and makes life miserable for everyone. It is probably true that the only people who can handle you harmoniously are those born under the signs of Aries or Sagittarius. July 23rd through August 23rd has Leo the sign, with its majestic bearing that makes you stand tall. You can reach all the peaks by remembering one thing. Extreme pride sometimes goeth before a fall. Reach for the stars, Leo. Reach for the stars. Oh, Leo. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe I'm a Leo. That's a Deep Purple song. Great tune. It is. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so there we go. We got our horoscopes out of the way. We got our eBay talk out of the way. Thank you for bearing with us. It's just an exciting time for us to try and become a little bit more independent. Because mm -hmm. I'm terrified of going back to uh, to work uh, with the, these concerts and stuff. I couldn't believe some of the things, uh, you know, the, the the litany of shows that they have coming up at, at the venue where I work. I'm like, have you not heard about the Delta variant? Because, and they just had a show, and I saw pictures from it on Facebook, and nobody had masks on. And they haven't even, mm -hmm. they've barely even talk to me about coming back but they're still paying my benefits so i have to figure out if we can get on the aca figure uh, i'm gonna call my the neighborhood family practice tomorrow since there's some open enrollment going on and see what i might be able to do to make that happen so wish yeah. us luck um but uh anyway without further ado we should probably get to story time uh we have Yay, uh story time chapters five and six uh, tonight of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, and uh, I'm sure 
kiddo's probably having some adventures of his own. Yes. So we'll look forward to uh, seeing though that from uh, Foxfire later in the show. Foxfire five hundred five resident show artist. Here we go, Dorothy and the Wizard, Chapter Five. Um, I think this is Dorothy picks the princess. Nice. Chapter Let's 5 see. of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dorothy Picks the Princess The words of the cold and moist vegetable prince were not very comforting, and as he spoke them he turned away and left the enclosure. The children, feeling sad and despondent, were about to follow him when the wizard touched Dorothy softly on her shoulder. Wait, he whispered. "'What for?' asked the girl. "'Suppose we pick the royal princess,' said the wizard. "'I'm quite sure she's ripe, and as soon as she comes to life, "'she will be the ruler, and may treat us better than that heartless prince intends to.' "'All right!' exclaimed Dorothy eagerly. "'Let's pick her while we have the chance, before the man with the star comes back.' So together they leaned over the great bush, and each of them seized one hand of the lovely princess. "'Pull!' cried Dorothy, and as they did so, the royal lady leaned toward them, and the stems snapped and separated from her feet. She was not heavy at all, so the wizard and Dorothy managed to lift her gently to the ground. The beautiful creature passed her hands over her eyes an instant, tucked in a stray lock of hair that had become disarranged, and after a look around the garden made those present a gracious bow and said, in a sweet but even-toned voice, I thank you very much. We salute your royal highness, cried the wizard, kneeling and kissing her hand. Just then the voice of the prince was heard calling upon them to hasten, and a moment later he returned to the enclosure, followed by a number of his people. Instantly the princess turned and faced him, and when he saw that she was picked, the prince stood still and began to tremble. "'Sir,' said the royal lady with much dignity, "'you have wronged me greatly, and would have wronged me still more, had not these strangers come to my rescue. I have been ready for picking all the past week, but because you were selfish and desired to continue your unlawful rule, you left me to stand silent upon my bush.' "'I did not know that you were ripe,' answered the prince in a low voice. "'Give me the star of royalty,' she commanded. Slowly he took the shining star from his own brow and placed it upon that of the princess. Then all the people bowed low to her, and the prince turned and walked away alone. What became of him afterward our friends never knew.' The people of Mangaboo now formed themselves into a procession and marched toward the glass city to escort their new ruler to her palace and to perform those ceremonies proper to the occasion. But while the people in the procession walked upon the ground, the princess walked in the air just above their heads to show that she was a superior being and more exalted than her subjects. No one now seemed to pay any attention to the strangers, so Dorothy and Zeb and the wizard let the train pass on and then wandered by themselves into the vegetable gardens. They did not bother to cross the bridges over the brooks, but when they came to a stream they stepped high and walked in the air to the other side. This was a very interesting experience to them, and Dorothy said, 
I wonder why it is that we can walk so easily in the air. Perhaps, answered the wizard, it is because we are close to the center of the earth, where the attraction of gravitation is very slight. But I've noticed that many queer things happen in fairy countries. Is this a fairy country? asked the boy. Of course it is, returned Dorothy promptly. Only a fairy country could have vegetable people, and only in a fairy country could Eureka and Jim talk as we do. That's true, said Zeb thoughtfully. In the vegetable gardens they found the strawberries and melons and several other unknown but delicious fruits of which they ate heartily. But the kitten bothered them constantly by demanding milk or meat and called the wizard names because he could not bring her a dish of milk by means of his magical arts. As they sat upon the grass watching Jim, who was still busily eating, Eureka said, I don't believe you are a wizard at all. No, answered the little man, you are quite right. In the strict sense of the word, I am not a wizard, but only a humbug. The Wizard of Oz has always been a humbug, agreed Dorothy. I've known him for a long time. If that is so, said the boy, how could he do that wonderful trick with the nine tiny piglets? Don't know, said Dorothy, but it must have been humbug. Very true, declared the wizard, nodding at her. It was necessary to deceive that ugly sorcerer and the prince, as well as their stupid people. But I don't mind telling you, who are my friends, that the thing was only a trick. But I saw the little pigs with my own eyes, exclaimed Zeb. So did I, purred the kitten. To be sure, answered the wizard, you saw them, because they were there. They are in my inside pocket now, but the pulling of them apart and pushing them together again was only a sleight-of-hand trick. Let's see the pigs, said Eureka eagerly. The little man felt carefully in his pocket and pulled out the tiny piglets, setting them upon the grass one by one, where they ran around and nibbled the tender blades. They're hungry, too, he said. Oh, what cunning things, cried Dorothy, catching up one and petting it. Be careful, said the piglet with a squeal. You're squeezing me. Dear me, murmured the wizard, looking at his pets in astonishment. They can actually talk. May I eat one of them? asked the kitten in a pleading voice. I'm awfully hungry. Why, Eureka, said Dorothy reproachfully. What a cruel question. It would be dreadful to eat these dear little things. I should say so, grunted another of the piglets, looking uneasily at the kitten. Cats are cruel things. I'm not cruel, replied the kitten, yawning. I'm just hungry. You cannot eat my piglets even if you are starving, declared the little man in a stern voice. They are the only things I have to prove I'm a wizard. How do they happen to be so little? asked Dorothy. I never saw such small pigs before. They are from the island of Tintiwinty, said the wizard where everything is small because it's a small island. A sailor brought them to Los Angeles, and I gave him nine tickets to the circus for them. But what am I going to eat? wailed the kitten, sitting in front of Dorothy and looking pleadingly into her face. There are no cows here to give milk, or any mice, or even grasshoppers. And if I can't eat the piglets, you may as well plant me at once and raise ketchup. I have an idea, said the wizard, that there are fishes in these brooks. Do you like fish? Fish, cried the kitten. Do I like fish? Why, they're better than piglets, or even milk. Then I'll try to catch you some, said he. 
But won't they be vegetable like everything else here? asked the kitten. I think not. Fishes are not animals, and they are as cold and moist as the vegetables themselves. There is no reason that I can see why they may not exist in the waters of this strange country. Then the wizard bent a pen for a hook and took a long piece of string from his pocket for a fish line. The only bait he could find was a bright red blossom from a flower. But he knew fishes are easy to fool if anything bright attracts their attention, so he decided to try the blossom. Having thrown the end of his line in the water of a nearby brook, he soon felt a sharp tug that told him a fish had bitten and was caught on the bent pin. So the little man drew in the string, and sure enough, the fish came with it and was landed safely on the shore, where it began to flop around in great excitement. The fish was fat and round, and its scales glistened like beautifully cut jewels set close together. But there was no time to examine it closely, for Eureka made a jump and caught it between her claws, and in a few moments it had entirely disappeared. Oh, Eureka! cried Dorothy. Did you eat the bones? If it had any bones, I ate them, replied the kitten composedly, as it washed its face after the meal. But I don't think that fish had any bones because I didn't feel them scratch my throat. You were very greedy, said the girl. I was very hungry, replied the kitten. The little pigs had stood huddled in a group watching this scene with frightened eyes. Cats are dreadful creatures, said one of them. I'm glad we are not fishes, said another. Don't worry, Dorothy murmured soothingly. I'll not let the kitten hurt you. Then she happened to remember that in a corner of her suitcase were one or two crackers that were left over from her luncheon on the train, and she went to the buggy and brought them. Eureka stuck up her nose at such food, but the tiny piglets squealed delightedly at the sight of the crackers and ate them up in a jiffy. Now let us go back to the city, suggested the wizard. That is, if Jim has had enough of the pink grass. The cab horse, who was browsing near, lifted his head with a sigh. I've tried to eat a lot while I had the chance, said he, for it's likely to be a long while between meals in this strange country. But I'm ready to go now at any time you wish. So after the wizard had put the piglets back into his inside pocket, where they cuddled up and went to sleep, the three climbed into the buggy and Jim started back to the town. Where shall we stay? asked the girl. I think I shall take possession of the house of the sorcerer, replied the wizard, for the prince said in the presence of his people that he would keep me until they picked another sorcerer. And the new princess won't know but that we belong there. They agreed to this plan, and when they reached the great square, Jim drew the buggy into the big door of the domed hall. It doesn't look very homelike, said Dorothy, gazing around at the bare room, but it's a place to stay, anyhow. What are those holes up there? inquired the boy, pointing at some openings that appeared near the top of the dome. They look like doorways, said Dorothy. Only there are no stairs to get to them. You forget that stairs are unnecessary, observed the wizard. Let us walk up and see where the doors lead to. With this, he began walking in the air toward the high openings, and Dorothy and Zeb followed him. It was the sort of climb one experiences when walking up a hill, and they were nearly out of breath when they came to the row of openings, which they perceived to be doorways leading into halls in the upper part of the house. 
Following these halls, they discovered many small rooms opening from them, and some were furnished with glass benches, tables, and chairs, but there were no beds at all. I wonder if these people never sleep, said the girl. Why, there seems to be no night at all in this country, Zeb replied. Those colored suns are exactly in the same place they were when we came, and if there is no sunset, there can be no night. Very true, agreed the wizard. But it is a long time since I've had any sleep, and I'm tired. So I think I shall lie down upon one of these hard glass benches and take a nap. I will, too, said Dorothy, and chose a little room at the end of the hall. Zeb walked down again to unharness Jim, who, when he found himself free, rolled over a few times and then settled down to sleep, with Eureka nestling comfortably beside his big bony body. Then the boy returned to one of the upper rooms, and in spite of the hardness of the glass bench, was soon deep in slumberland. End of chapter 5 There you go. No beds. No beds, but, you know, they got out of the trouble before they were being accused of damaging property because of the earthquake. Yeah, yeah, that, that is good. Looks like they got a new ruler, and that new ruler said, eh, forget about it. Ah, uh, what's a little property damage? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, it's a fun little uh, kick back into the, the world of uh, of the world of Oz from last yes. week. And, uh, of course, I, I do love Eureka the Cat, um, like, just eating fish. Eating fish. With no bones. Eureka's, Eureka's a carnivore. She's not about to be happy with fruit or vegetables, like all cats. I thought Eureka was a he. Oh, I thought it was she, but... Um, oh, I, I yeah, could be mistaken. We're going to have to listen more carefully. My bet uh, she. Maybe it's he. I thought he was a he. So, um, but yeah, hmm. that the, the reader, he said glass benches, and it did not sound like that B word. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, we got a teaser there. I see some little little faces, little bug faces. Oh, I didn't uh, see any. Or are those see. little... Oh, are those little tiny kiddo faces? What? I don't know. So, uh, Foxfire has given us the kiddo teaser, which is exciting. Nice. Oh, Eureka's a she. Thank you, Foxfire. I thought if Eureka was a heat. Never mind. I, I've, I, I, I stand corrected. But, uh, but thank you for that. As our resident <laughs> uh, Oz expert, um, and all things kiddo. Uh, so, mm -hmm, all right, mm -hmm. should we jump back in with uh, the next episode uh, or the next Let's installment? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Dorothy and the Wizard uh, in Oz, Chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mangaboos Proved Dangerous. When the wizard awoke, the six colored suns were shining down upon the land of the Mangaboos just as they had done ever since his arrival. The little man, having had a good sleep, felt rested and refreshed, and looking through the glass partition of the room, he saw Zeb sitting up on his bench and yawning, so the wizard went in to him. Zeb, said he, my balloon is of no further use in this strange country, 
so I may as well leave it on the square where it fell, but in the basket car are some things I would like to keep with me. I wish you would go and fetch my satchel, two lanterns, and a can of kerosene oil that is under the seat. There is nothing else that I care about. So the boy went willingly upon the errand, and by the time he had returned, Dorothy was awake. Then the three held a council to decide what they should do next, but could think of no way to better their condition. I don't like these vegetable people, said the little girl. They're cold and flabby, like cabbages, in spite of their prettiness. I agree with you. It is because there is no warm blood in them, remarked the wizard. And they have no hearts, so they can't love anyone, not even themselves, declared the boy. The princess is lovely to look at, continued Dorothy thoughtfully, but I don't care much for her after all. If there was any other place to go, I'd like to go there. But is there any other place? asked the wizard. I don't know, she answered. Just then they heard the big voice of Jim the cab horse calling to them, and going to the doorway leading to the dome, they found the princess and a throng of her people had entered the house of the sorcerer. So they went down to greet the beautiful vegetable lady, who said to them, I have been talking with my advisers about you meat people, and we have decided that you do not belong in the land of Mangaboos and must not remain here. How can we go away? asked Dorothy. Oh, you cannot go away, of course, so you must be destroyed, was the answer. In what way? inquired the wizard. We shall throw you three people into the garden of the twining vines, said the princess, and they will soon crush you and devour your bodies to make themselves grow bigger. The animals you have with you we will drive to the mountains and put into the black pit. Then our country will be rid of all its unwelcome visitors. But you are in need of a sorcerer, said the wizard, and not one of those growing is yet ripe enough to pick. I am greater than any thorn-covered sorcerer that ever grew in your garden. Why destroy me? It is true we need a sorcerer, acknowledged the princess, but I am informed that one of our own will be ready to pick in a few days to take the place of Gwig, whom you cut in two before it was time for him to be planted. Let us see your arts and the sorceries you are able to perform. Then I will decide whether to destroy you with the others or not. At this the wizard made a bow to the people and repeated his trick of producing the nine tiny piglets and making them disappear again. He did it very cleverly indeed, and the princess looked at the strange piglets as if she were as truly astonished as any vegetable person could be. But afterward she said, I have heard of this wonderful magic. But it accomplishes nothing of value. What else can you do? The wizard tried to think. Then he jointed together the blades of his sword and balanced it very skillfully upon the end of his nose. But even that did not satisfy the princess. Just then his eye fell upon the lanterns and the can of kerosene oil which Zeb had brought from the car of his balloon. And he got a clever idea from those commonplace things. Your Highness, said he, I will now proceed to prove my magic by creating two suns that you have never seen before. Also I will exhibit a destroyer much more dreadful than your clinging vines. So he placed Dorothy upon one side of him and the boy upon the other, 
and set a lantern upon each of their heads. Don't laugh, he whispered to them, or you will spoil the effect of my magic. Then, with much dignity and a look of vast importance upon his wrinkled face, the wizard got out his matchbook and lighted the two lanterns. The glare they made was very small when compared to the radiance of the six great colored suns, but still they gleamed steadily and clearly. The Mangaboos were much impressed because they had never before seen any light that did not come directly from their suns. Next, the wizard poured a pool of oil from the can upon the glass floor, where it covered quite a broad surface. When he lighted the oil, a hundred tongues of flame shot up, and the effect was really imposing. Now, princess, exclaimed the wizard, those of your advisers who wished to throw me into the garden of clinging vines must step within this circle of light. If they advised you well and were in the right, they will not be injured in any way. But if any advised you wrongly, the light will wither him. The advisers of the princess did not like this test, but she commanded them to step into the flame, and one by one they did so and were scorched so badly that the air was soon filled with an odor like that of baked potatoes. Some of the Mangaboos fell down and had to be dragged from the fire, and all were so withered that it would be necessary to plant them at once. "'Sir,' said the princess to the wizard, "'you are greater than any sorcerer we have ever known. As it is evident that my people have advised me wrongly,' I will not cast you three people into the dreadful garden of the clinging vines, but your animals must be driven into the black pit in the mountain, for my subjects cannot bear to have them around. The wizard was so pleased to have saved the two children and himself that he said nothing against this decree, but when the princess had gone, both Jim and Eureka protested they did not want to go to the black pit and Dorothy promised she would do all that she could to save them from such a fate. For two or three days after this, if we call days the periods between sleep, there being no night to divide the hours into days, our friends were not disturbed in any way. They were even permitted to occupy the house of the sorcerer in peace, as if it had been their own, and to wander in the gardens in search of food. Once they came near to the enclosed garden of the clinging vines, and walking high into the air, looked down upon it with much interest. They saw a mass of tough green vines, all matted together and writhing and twisting around like a nest of great snakes. Everything the vines touched, they crushed, and our adventurers were indeed thankful to have escaped being cast among them. Whenever the wizard went to sleep, he would take the nine tiny piglets from his pocket and let them run around on the floor of his room to amuse themselves and get some exercise. And one time they found his glass door ajar and wandered into the hall and then into the bottom part of the great dome, walking through the air as easily as Eureka could. They knew the kitten by this time, so they scampered over to where she lay beside Jim and commenced to frisk and play with her. The cab-horse, who never slept long at a time, sat upon his haunches and watched the tiny piglets and the kitten with much approval. "'Don't be rough,' he would call out, if Eureka knocked over one of the round, fat piglets with her paw. But the pigs never minded and enjoyed the sport very greatly. 
Suddenly they looked up to find the room filled with the silent, solemn-eyed mangaboos. Each of the vegetable folk bore a branch covered with sharp thorns, which was thrust defiantly toward the horse, the kitten, and the piglets. Here, stop this foolishness, Jim roared angrily. But after being pricked once or twice, he got upon his four legs and kept out of the way of the thorns. The mangaboos surrounded them in solid ranks, but left an opening to the doorway of the hall, so the animals slowly retreated until they were driven from the room and out upon the street. Here were more of the vegetable people with thorns, and silently they urged the now frightened creatures down the street. Jim had to be careful not to step upon the tiny piglets, who scampered under his feet, grunting and squealing, while Eureka, snarling and biting at the thorns pushed toward her, also tried to protect the pretty little things from injury. Slowly but steadily, the heartless mangaboos drove them on until they had passed through the city and the gardens and come to the broad plains leading to the mountain. What does all this mean, anyhow? asked the horse, jumping to escape a thorn. Why, they're driving us toward the black pit, into which they threatened to cast us, replied the kitten. If I were as big as you are, Jim, I'd fight these miserable turnip roots. What would you do? inquired Jim. I'd kick out with those long legs and iron-shod hoofs. All right, said the horse, I'll do it. An instant later, he suddenly backed toward the crowd of mangaboos and kicked out his hind legs as hard as he could. A dozen of them smashed together and tumbled to the ground, and seeing his success, Jim kicked again and again, charging into the vegetable crowd, knocking them in all directions, and sending the others scattering to escape his iron heels. Eureka helped him by flying into the faces of the enemy and scratching and biting furiously, and the kitten ruined so many vegetable complexions that the mangaboos feared her as much as they did the horse. But the foes were too many to be repulsed for long. They tired Jim and Eureka out, and although the field of battle was thickly covered with mashed and disabled mangaboos, our animal friends had to give up at last and allow themselves to be driven to the mountain. End of chapter 6 Wow. So we had a crime scene in our kitchen earlier. We had a crime scene? Yeah, yeah. It smelled like baked potatoes in our kitchen, so we killed some mangaboos. Oh. Yeah, uh, we did. We had baked potatoes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, these mangaboos are awful creatures, aren't they? Yeah, you should kill your vegetables and eat them. I mean, eat them alive. They want to throw the poor Jim and Eureka into a nasty pit. Yeah. They want to kill those little cute piglets. Vegetables are awful. Oh, these certain these these vegetable people certainly are. So, I don't feel so bad about the wizard chopping that dude in half last time. Yeah. So Why did you post a meme of a potato <laughs> pooping french fries? It's kind of blowing my mind. I mean, it seriously is. I can't stop watching it. Uh, I just was looking for vegetable uh, memes. Yeah. Veggie people. Wow. So, Eat yeah. all your vegetables. 
Uh, yeah, they are they are nasty. They make me feel okay about eating them alive. <clears throat> because vegetables, we do eat them alive. We do. Yep. They need therapy for that. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so so there we go. There's our, our chapters of uh, Dorothy in the Wizard in Oz. Uh, and we've got lots more stuff to play for everybody. So, uh, should we uh, get to the crappy rooster and uh, check in with Wormwood Forest? Uh, we only Ooh, have fi yeah. five, five more episodes of Wormwood Forest till it's over. Oh, just five, and then it's done. Then no yeah. more Wormwood Yeah, but uh, um, Foxfire posted a picture of Kiddo, one of the first pictures of Kiddo. That's super cute. Kiddo was here. Yeah, it made me happy. So, yeah, that was very cool. Back in the day. Yeah. And, yeah. uh... But uh, Kiddo's evolved uh, over over time, and and uh, he really has. So his Foxfire's uh, artwork too. She's getting getting to do all kinds of fun character drawings of all the the Oz characters. So that's fun. Fun stuff. And yeah. she does a great interpretation of all the Oz characters. I might I add too. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, all right. So Wormwood Forest. Let's check in with Dippy Dwarf and the gang and see if. Uh, what was barbecue pig? Uh, barbecue she's, pig. She's trying to run Dippy Dwarf out of business, and they're helping her. Yeah, so that's weird. I, I don't understand. I don't understand this. that. Yeah. It's like you know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, Wormwood Forest. Gotta end somehow. Yep. Oh boy, another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Once again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Frankie Frog sees a poster that eggs him on. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show that always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Well, who's knocking on my door? It's Frankie Frog, kitty. Hiya, kitty baby. Hello, Frankie. I'm here. So what, Frog? I'm here in all my green glory. Aren't you glad to see me? Not particularly. But, Kittykins, I'm your handsome green frog friend. Just look at you. Yeah, look at me. All muscle and brawn. Muscled, ha. You're getting fat. No, this is not fat. It's muscle tissue. Look how it stretches. See how you stretch? Well, maybe I do stretch a bit. But so do all frogs. How do you expect me to have interest in a frog who doesn't stand out in a crowd? Well, gee whiz, Kitty. I don't quite understand why you feel this way. Go down and look at the sign posted by the front door. Uh, will it tell me why you feel this way, Kitty? Yes. Now go around. <coughs> Guess I'd better go downstairs and have a look at that sign. Hey, hey, Dippy Dwarf. Oh, good morning, Frankie Frog. Gee, you look down in the jumps. Oh, it's Kitty Trouble. She thinks I look a mess. You don't look any messier than usual to me. <laughs> hmm. Uh, she said for me to look at a sign by the front door. Oh, that explains everything. <laughs> I don't get you, Shorty. Hey, then take a look at that sign there. Yeah, it says, uh, enter the body beautiful contest. Even you may be chosen, Mr. Wormwood. Now hmm. do you see why Kitty thinks you're out of shape, Frog? Yeah, it's as plain as the beard on your face, Dwarf. She thinks I can't win the Mr. Wormwood title. But just you wait and see. 
I'll work on my muscles to my biceps bulge, my triceps bulge, my pectorals bulge, and my eyes. Hey, they already bulge. Hey, Frog, get on with your training. Two, three, bend. One, two, three, bend. Frankie Frog, what in the world are you doing? Uh, uh, oh, oh, hi, you Susie Skunk. I'm doing my, uh, 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 uh you know, the, uh... uh no, uh... uh, uh, uh no, that isn't uh, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm doing my calisthenics <laughs> exercises. One, up, two, down, three, up. Why? Uh, to get into shape, so I look like a real frog. You look like a real frog to me, all green and sh- Stretchy. Hey, there you go too, Susie Skunk, saying I look stretchy. But you do. As stretchy and limber as a goddess make. Who what I said? Well, these exercises will make me look better. One in, two out, three in, four out. You look awfully peculiar doing these exercises out here all by yourself, Frankie. Hey, Susie Skunk, you've given me a good idea. I'll find myself a training partner. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See, who would make a good training partner? Jock for sale, fresh jock for sale, stale jock for sale. Hey, Gerald Grasshopper, how you? Well, Frankie boy, how you doing? Need the jock? Eh, no, but I do need a training partner, and you're just the grasshopper for the job. How much does it pay? Oh, it'll pay off in robust health, rippling muscles, and stuff like that there. Nope, not interested. Uh, why not, Gerald? I could make more money selling junk. But, Grasshopper, I can train better with a partner. Don't be ridiculous, Frog. Don't see why you want to train anyway. Well, so I can win the Mr. Wormwood title in the Body Beautiful show tomorrow. <laughs> now you are being ridiculous. You have as much chance winning as I have of getting rich selling junk. Yoo-hoo, Gerald Grasshopper! Oh, hi, Chippendale Cricket. What can I do for you? I'll give you $15 for that second-hand milkshaker. $15? It's all yours, Cricket Child. $15. I'm rich. You see that, Grasshopper? My chances are getting better all the time. Rabbit tobacco if they ate. <laughs> Gee, what am I going to do? I've got to have a training partner. Well, I guess I'll sit here and try to think of a suitable individual. <laughs> I'm sort of tired. Yeah, I really should be on my way to the... Yeah, if I want to win the Mr. Wormwood title. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Wormwood, I just got to win. Hey, there's Timothy Turtle. Hiya, Tim. Oh, hello, Frankie Frog. Boy, am I tired. Uh, what you been doing, Turtle? What you uh-huh, been doing? Nothing. And that wears me out more than anything. <laughs> That's logical. But I ain't got no time for logic. I've got to win the Body Beautiful contest. Have you been training? Uh, not yet. I know how you can win without training, Frankie. Uh, you do? Well, tell me. Quick, Turtle, tell me. Tell me. Well, put me down and I will. Well, don't keep me in suspenders. How can I win? Well, it's like this. You gotta have muscles to have a body beautiful. Yeah, sure. Big bulging muscles. You haven't got any muscles. Gee, I haven't. Then how am I gonna win the contest? Well, just let me tell you how. It's as easy as singing a lullaby. Just wait till I tell you what to do with you.
morning, Dippy Dwarf. Good morning, Kitty. Oh, glad it stopped raining. It's a lovely day for the Buddy Beautiful contest. Too bad Frankie won't be in it. Won't be in it. But he said he was going to train for it. Oh, then he is going to enter. Where is he? Oh, he must be up in his room. I'll buzz his room and see if he's awake. Oh, no answer. He must be sound asleep. I'll run up and see. His room's on the third floor. Under the bed, Kitty? Yes, and he's not there either. Oh, Kitty, you'd better run over to Susie's Skunks and see if he spent the night in her guest room. But why would he stay over there? You know, it rained pretty hard last night. Maybe he decided not to risk getting wet. I'll slip on my rubber overshoes and brave the mud to the old Badger residence. The old Badger residence. Goodness, that rain certainly did make things muddy. If you're working your way through dancing school by selling box trots, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty. Good morning, Susie Skunk. Set your shoes on the doormat and come in. Having time. Is Frankie Frog here? No. Did he spend the night here? No. Do you know where he is now? No. Is that all you can say? No. Well, I could say yes. If my woodchuck would propose to me. Who said anything about a stupid woodchuck? Well, did someone call me? Oh, good morning, dumb gluck, my woodchucky. Oh, hello, sweetie Susie Skunky. Hello, kitty. Dumb cluck, have you seen Frankie Frog? Is he all muddy and messy looking? How should I know? Well, if he is, I saw him down by the dandelion patch. Gracious, what's he doing down there? That's what I'm going to find out. My, why are you so upset, kitty? Frankie is supposed to enter the Body Beautiful contest. Oh, well, are you going to enter, Chucky? No, mercy me, no. The only thing beautiful about me is my girlfriend. Am I really, Chucky? Yes, you're lovely to look at, delightful to know, a sweet little miss. (laughs) A combination like this. Is quite my most impossible scheme come to imagine finding a dream like you. Oh, and so early in the morning, too. I'm going. Woodchuck said Frankie was down by the dandelion patch. Well, there's the patch, and... Oh, no! That can't be Frankie in the mud. Frog! Wake up, Frog! Yeah, go away and let me sleep. Frankie, wake up. Yeah. Oh, kitty, hello. Hey, where am I? You're all muddy. Hey, jeepers, I am muddy. I must have fallen asleep. And even the rain didn't wake you up? Uh, Nope. Hey, I had a wonderful dream. I dreamt the turtle told me how to win the Body Beautiful contest. Well, this is no time to stay in the mud. You'll catch cold. Give me a paw, kitty. This mud is slippery. Careful, you'll get mud on my fur. Well, hold tight, kitty baby. I'm pulling, but your frog hand is slippery. Hey, kitty, hold on. I'm sliding. Frog, turn loose. You're pulling me in the mud. (laughs) (laughs) Now look what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, kitty. And I just had my fur dry cleaned. Well, don't worry, kitty baby. I've always heard a mud bath is good for the complexion. Frankie Frog, ain't over. Do you like this? That's fine. (laughs) 
Well, it's time for the main feature, the Mr. Wormwood contest. Are you ready, Frankie? Yeah, did someone get the eggs? Yeah, I'll get here in time with the eggs. Here they are. Yeah, thanks, Susie. I ran all the way back from Grandpa Fox's poultry farm. Uh, what are you going to do with these eggs, Frog? Well, in my dream, the turtle told me to swallow the eggs whole, shell and all. What good will that do? Well, I'll swallow one like this. Boop. Uh, now, Dippy, uh, squeeze me and work the egg out into my arm. Uh, like this, Frankie. Uh, yep. Uh, careful, don't break the egg, Shorty. Uh, now, how does it look? Why, it bulges up in your arm just like a muscle. <laughs> well, good. Now, hurry. I'll swallow more eggs. I'll have bulging muscles all over. Oh, hurry, uh, 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 Here's another bite, And now, for our last contestant in the Mr. Wormwood contest, Frankie Frog. Hooray! Uh, thank you. Now, I will display my bulging muscles. Ooh! <laughs> you see, last night, I slept out in the rain and... and, and, and shoot. Hey, what happened? Frankie, what happened to your chest muscles? When I sneezed, I busted the eggs inside my chest. Well, try not to sneeze again. I won't. I... 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 Frog, your muscles are... Uh... Disappearing. In in view of the circumstances, I feel that Frankie Frog is disqualified. Leave the stage, Frog. But but, but my dream. But don't you know it takes more than dreams to build a body beautiful? It takes hard work. Oh, me. And now, in the unanimous opinion of our judges, the winner of the Mr. Wormwood title is Muscles Muskrat. Me. I'm just a failure. No muscles. Oh, don't be sad, Frankie. I like you even if you aren't, Mr. Wormwood. Uh, you do, kitty baby? Of course. Who else in Wormwood has a frog friend that stretches? Gee, when you say things like that, I feel like I'm walking on eggs. You are. The last time you sneezed, eggs slid down to your frog feet. Grandpa Fox must have put in two hard-boiled eggs. Oh, boy. Now I can take the platform soles off my spats. I got feet with built-in lifts. <laughs> this is one case where an egg in the foot is worth two in an omelet. And for a while, at least, Frankie Frog won't mind not winning the title of Mr. Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. This time, Frankie Frog is offered a chance to become a wrestler. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying, so long. Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. Beginning tomorrow afternoon, listen for a full hour of fine music. Two grand musical programs with your favorite melodies. First, tune in one half hour earlier than usual for Music America Loves Best with Robert Merrill. Then stay tuned for James Melton in the new Harvest of Stars. Enjoy both of these fine, delightful musical shows tomorrow on NBC. Harvest of Stars. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Harvest of Stars, is that, uh, are, are they the uh, mangaboos? They're, they're going to be harvested like vegetable uh. people? 
Uh, I'm so disappointed in uh, uh, the the frog for uh, using uh, performance enhancement uh, tech. Uh, eh. Performance enhancement. That's kind of yeah. what he did. I mean, come so, on, come on, so, frog. Yeah, I thought he was chugging him. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that that it seems like we've gotten away from the uh, the soap opera of the uh, competitive uh, hotel. So yeah, that that seemed to be the arc there for a while. Looks like maybe it wasn't popular or something, and they were like, maybe they veered from it. And it looks like the the frog is is uh, becoming the more popular character, and they're trying to feature him more. Ah, what, maybe Freddie the Frog is that his name? Yeah, Freddie the Frog. So, oh. And Miss Kitty, what's her name? Miss Kitty, that's her name. Man, she's so. a fickle, fickle little love kitten. Yeah, but uh, but so no, so there we go. We're uh, we're almost right at the top of the hour, um, and uh, yeah, we only have four more episodes of uh, <laughs> of Wormwood Forest uh, for for uh, time for go to bed. But it's kind of exciting that we we're gonna do a complete run of the series. And, um, oh yeah, you know, then we'll figure out something else. But then, you know, then again, we have uh, Jerry the Circus, and we picked up the Magic Island. Hopefully, everybody's going to enjoy that. We're getting closer to the Magic Island itself too. But Jerry the Circus, Magic Island is gotta can only be more magical because yeah. right now it's not too magical. No, we're well, not there yet. They're just leaving L.A. and everything. But um. Uh, but what's exciting is I kind of looked ahead at Jerry of the Circus, and it's going to start getting super circusy soon. They, oh, like really? Oh, good. Jerry, Jerry's going to start learning new jobs and stuff like that, and that's really fun. But yeah. uh, I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and uh, take a five-minute break and see if everybody can solve the five-minute mystery. Yes. The Scarlet Letters, or Three Scarlet Letters. Is this one? Hopefully, there's no spoiler in the titles of these things, but there probably are. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so let's take a break, and then we'll bring back our intro music, and we'll uh, get into some Jerry and some Magic Island. <laughs> and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own. Yeah, that's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now, and I intend having a perfectly wonderful time. Now, here we are. <laughs> oh, what a charming place this is. Uh, Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. A uh, darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. Jim, look. What? Where? There on the living room floor. It's Dorothy. Dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questioning. Well, I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Uh, thank you, Miss Manning. 
Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. There's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. Well, I had written Mrs. Brooks, Inspector, telling her that I'd called Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour later. We could have been here early and maybe have prevented this. Oh, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Mrs. Brooks was sitting here in this chair, putting red polish on her fingernails, when she was shot from behind. The polish had spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C. I wish we could tell whose initial she was trying to reveal. You're sure you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Well, positive, I can't... Uh, why, why, that... Yes, Miss Manning? Can you think of somebody with the initials? Well, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Well, it can't be. Yes, I Mr. Have... Brooks? I haven't been called Doc for over two years. It, it was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. Nobody in New York even knows me by the Doc. You've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Mm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes? I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then, then it wasn't Doc after all. No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Mrs. Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. But that wasn't what really gave you away, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? <laughs> I, I just didn't think it was going to be that stupidly easy that... Yeah. Oh. 
The guy's like, you. I haven't been called that nickname in forever. And then he's like, you better figure out, lady, people's nicknames. I thought it was going to be something like, is it, did, what, what, wasn't it painted with nail polish on the floor or something? Doc? Yeah. I thought she was going to be wearing the same nail polish or something. I don't know. That Stupid. would be a lot easier to figure out. Stupid. This one was, I mean, this one was just dumb. It's like, you know, you're under arrest. Set airtight. That's an airtight out of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a proof. It's all the evidence we need. You're going to the slammer. I know, as I like the way they talk. Yeah. So. Everybody should talk that way all the time. Why I? Why I oughta? Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, there we go. So, there uh, there was our five-minute mystery, and that was five-minute mystery number five. Yo, they made a yeah. ton of those things, and of course, it's, it's so pretty, many. Yeah, it's pretty dumb writing. So, speaking of dumb writing, Susan and I have been critiquing Hogan's Heroes of late. <laughs> as much as we don't, uh, how many episodes of Hogan's Heroes was the MacGuffin in the show? Was oh my God, so and so is the spitting image of so and so. You know, it's like every actor is like, you know, they're like, you look just like this person. Put on a mustache and a Nazi uniform and you'll fool everyone. It's like, oh, my God, stop it. They did that every so time. many times. It's like you. That's how I know I, I was very young when I liked that show because I yeah. would notice that. Later I mean, it, I, I was I had it on in the background the other day while I was doing eBay listings and. And I hear Hogan say, well, you're the spitting image of... And I'm like, not again. Not again, Stop Hogan. it. Stop it. Not even him. Not Bob Crane or anybody. It's just the laziest writing. Like, well, I have an idea for a show, guys. How about we, uh, we have somebody look like Schultz this week? <laughs> okay. Okay. Ugh. Let's have somebody look like the French guy this week. Okay, great, great. Oh, there's the kiddo drop. Uh-oh, oh. did, ki did kiddo have offspring? Put my glasses on for that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, wow. is he sprouting? Kiddo learns tricks from the wizards and his piglets. Oh my gosh, he <laughs> made his babies. Amazing. He has baby kiddos. That is incredible. Oh. That's that, cute. That's gonna be fun. Damn, that's so. cute. Um. Wow. He that's... spawned. He spawned out. Yeah. So, well, what did the wizard do with the the piglets? He he made. Uh, oh, he he cut one piglet and it, it turned it or one pig and it turned into a whole bunch of pigs or something. Yeah. That was it. So. But there's nine kiddos. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Three wow. for each head. Wow. That's great. Well, I better get to color in here. So, uh, and yeah. we better oh, get. Should better they get... should they be different colors? Oh. Why not? <laughs> they could be rainbow. Oh my rainbow god. Rainbow baby kiddo. <laughs> so, uh, but oh anyway, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's get to Jerry the Circus. Um, okay. This one, uh, I think there's a big blowout with the the the. Um, 
major uh, major Mike in this one. This might be the end of this storyline, so we'll find out. Of course, Major okay. Mike was the guy who was uh, getting the chimpanzee to go wreck the um, wardrobe lady's uh, uh, trailer or whatever. So, yes, uh, here we go. True, true. Let's get All to right. the circus. Let's get to the circus. Jerry of the circus. For Jerry of the Circus. Mr. Randall, Mr. Randall. Oh, hello there, Jerry. Something wrong? Gee, I, I don't know. I'm sure glad to see you, though. Look, look at all that smoke coming out of Clara's tent. Huh? I was just going in when Rags heard you coming around the corner. Oh, quick, quick, Jerry. We haven't any time to lose. Boy, look how that smoke pours out. You can't see a thing. Here, here are the flames over here. You got a blanket or something, Jerry? Okay. Hey, here you are. Yeah. Why, it's the ironing board. Yeah. Golly, but that smoke's bad. <laughs> there, that does it. Hmm. Sure there wasn't much of a blaze, just an awful lot of smoke. <laughs> Someone must have left the iron on. Hmm? I'll, I'll disconnect it. No, that's inexcusable. I've never known Clara in all the years she's worked for me to do a careless thing like that. Say, uh, Mr. Randall, look. Uh, where? Here on the ground. Huh? See where some of the sawdust is scraped away? Looks like a footprint. Well, I guess it's yours, Jerry. No one else has such a small foot. You're getting so detective conscious, you'll be catching yourself one of these days. No, but but look, Mr. Randall, this is a lot smaller than my foot. Well, so it is. Say, it, it couldn't be Major Mite. Hmm? Oh, no, of course not. Major Mite? Uh-huh. He's just crazy enough to... Come on, Jerry, uh, let's drop in on him. He'd be dressing now. Uh, you know, the sideshow opens before the big show. You know, I, I kind of hated to suggest him, but, well... You know that argument he and Clara had about his watch? Yes, yes, I know. The Major thinks certain people have it in for him, and you just can't convince him any different. Clara's been one of his pet peeves for a long time now. I don't see why he should feel like that about Clara. She's really awful friendly. Well, if you if you hadn't have had the bright idea about taking that picture in Clara's tent, we might have blamed all that monkey business on the Major. He's annoyed her before. Mr. Randall, I don't know whether I ought to tell you this, but... Well, I, I sure don't want to be a tattletale, but... Well, what well, is it, son? Well, it, it may just be a coincidence, but the other night, Patsy and Bumps and I went to the cafe near the lot after the show, and... Go on, Well, Joe. the Major came out just ahead of us, and, and he was carrying a big bag of bananas. 
They were sticking out of the top of the bags. Patsy kind of laughed, and Bump said he was probably giving his friends a party or a treat or something. Well, what's all this to do Well, you see, later that night, when the watchman and Rags and me saw that shadow... Yeah? And and then we went back to the monkey cage after finding the footprints... Yes, sir. Well, there was a banana peel laying on the ground right outside the chimpanzee's cage. Oh, well, of course, lots of people might have given that to the chimpanzee. Yeah, I know. That's why I didn't say anything to anybody then. But the next morning, Bumps and I were going down to see Uncle Dan. And... Oh, yeah, I know. And the bearded lady was uh, bawling out the poor major about Patsy's costume. The major came and explained the whole thing to me. That costume had been left in Clara's tent to be mended, And I helped Patsy put it in there myself. Oh, you don't say. Say, if anyone else pulled a stunt like this, providing, of course, the major is responsible for this electric iron and all that monkey business and Patsy's costume, I'd fire them oh, so gee, quick. Oh, gee, Mr. Randall, I... I'd hate to have you do that. Yeah, but with the Major, I'll, I'll just have to let him know I'm on to him and what he's done, and he'll be so ashamed he'll be good for the rest of the season. As good as he can be, that is. Oh, oh uh, there's his tent right over there. Now, uh, if I were you, I, I'd just take a little walk with Rags and let me see the Major alone. Oh, sure. Sure thing, Mr. Randall. Uh, I'd just rather he didn't know you had anything at all to do with all this. So would I. Uh, you see, Jerry, it's really my fault. I asked you to try and find out about those things that were disappearing from Clara's tent, so you only did your job. I'm sure glad I could help. Help? And look to me as if you sold it all. Uh, hang around. I'll, I'll see you when I come out. Okay, Miss Randall. Come along. Uh, Major. Major Mike. Well, hello, hello, watch me. It's Sam Randall. Oh, yes, Mr. Randall. I'll be right out. Uh, good. Oh, there you are. Didn't take you long? No, sir. When the boss comes to see me, I'm a quick change artist. Well, hmm. Uh, well, Major, I'm, uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble. Oh, you don't say. I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. Randall. Now, Major, I, I don't want you to take offense at what I'm going to say. Well, I never have, have I? Uh, oh, you and I have always gotten on pretty well. And that's just how I want things to keep on going. Well, that's a ticket with me, too, Mr. Randall. Now, I understand you and Clara have been having a little hard feeling lately. A little? Say, listen, Mr. Randall, I'm glad you brought that up. I've had more of that woman's meanness, uh, and I'm going to take. No, we uh, won't go into that, Major. Personally, I, I think you're all wrong about Clara. Everyone else seems to be very fond of her. Well, that's just because they got a buffalo. But she thinks she can push me around just because I'm little. Now, when I try and talk back to her, she's really vicious. Well, what do you mean, vicious? Oh, this just goes to show you. I admit we've been having words lately. Uh, so I hear. Well, after the storm the other night, my coat needed pressing. Uh, I, I can imagine. Well, I asked her to press it before the matinee, and she wouldn't promise. Anyhow, she said she had a lot of other things to do first. Well, after that storm, I, I know she had a lot to do. Yeah, well, why did she pick on me? When did she press your coat? Well, yes, but... I had to wait till the last minute. And then, you know, she stole my watch. That magnificent watch that the King of Romania gave me. <laughs> I tell you, Mr. Randall, I thought more of that watch than anything else in the oh, world. <laughs> but Clara wouldn't do a thing like that. Yeah, but she did. I know I had it in the inside pocket of my coat. When I looked for it after she pressed it, it was gone. Oh, I just can't believe that Clara would do a thing like that. She's dangerous, Mr. Randall. She's vicious. And, and... Uh, now, just a minute, Major. <laughs> While we're on all this, even if she did take that watch, which I don't believe, don't you think she might just be trying to get even? Get even? Now, what about all this business with Aga, the chimpanzee? What? 
Well, what? I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You uh, haven't heard about the trouble Clara's had in the wardrobe lately? Why, n- no, of course not. About the chimp that was let out of its cage to go in there late at night? And about the little man who's been feeding the chimp bananas? Why, Mr. Randall, you certainly don't I think certainly that I... certainly do think you've been back of all of this. And I've got enough proof for you to confess and make a clean breast of the whole story. Well, uh... I'm completely flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah. You'll be more than flabbergasted if you don't confess. I want you to know I've just come from her tent now. And fortunately got there just in the nick of time. Well, what do you mean? I'm talking about a fire from an electric iron. Oh, no, Mr. Randall. It couldn't have caught fire. That's just what it did. It's lucky for you I happen to be going by there in time to put it out. Yeah, but I, I just meant to scorch your ironing board a little. Uh-huh. So you did do it, huh? Never mind, I knew it all along. No, truly, Mr. Randall, I didn't mean any harm. I put it on just before the end of the matinee. Mm -hmm. I thought she'd find it, of course, before she went off for supper. Yeah, she probably never went back. Yeah, but she always does go back after the show. Well, she missed this time. Anyhow, you just missed sending our whole circus up in smoke. Oh, Mr. Randall, I don't know what to say. Why why would you do such a thing, Major? Well, she took my watch. Well, you think she took it. Remember, you took her thimble. And I hear Clara set great store by a thimble. It was a gold one that her grandmother gave her. Well, Edgar wasn't supposed to steal anything. She she was just supposed to mess things up. Mm, she did that all right. Well, when I when I find out she'd taken the thimbles and those paste buckles, I took them right back and hid them among the things so she'd think they were there all the time. Oh, so that's how you happen to have Patsy's costume in your tent, huh? Yeah, sure. I, I was just waiting for a chance to get it back when that miserable bearded lady had to find it. By the way, uh... <clears throat> How are you and she getting along nowadays? Oh, don't ask me, Mr. Randall. I never want to see her again. She's just a... uh, She's just a pest. That's what she is, a pest. (laughs) You certainly have a time getting along with all your lady friends. (laughs) What are you going to do with me about all... All that? Well, I'll tell you, Major. First of all, I'll have to deduct enough out of your salary to get Clara a new ironing board. Truly, I I didn't really mean to start a fire. Oh, I'm sure of that, but... You've got to think more and, and not let your temper run away with you. Now, that's one thing. Well, I'll try, Mr. Randall. Honest, I will. Yeah, good. If you'll only forget all about this, I'll promise I'll never lose my temper again. Honest. Well, we'll see, Major. Meantime, oh, oh hello there, Jerry. Uh, uh, who have you got with you there? Excuse me, Mr. Randall, but I met this messenger boy down on the lot, and he asked me to show him to Major Mike's tent. Well, g- got something for me? Yes, sir. Well, that's funny. Where from? The Ransom's Jewelry Store, sir. Well, I didn't buy anything at a jewelry store. Are you sure you got the right name? Sure, it's Major Might, all right, with the Randall Brothers Circus. Well, that's me. Gee, maybe someone's giving you a present. If you'll sign here, Major. Yeah, here, here you are. Good evening, sir. Well, 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 I wonder what this can be. Great God, free man, open it. Let me see, a little box like this. I wonder what it'll be. That's a ring. No, 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 no. It's too big a box for a ring. Yeah, yeah, now, I'll, I'll open it. So, what? Oh, well, what's wrong, Major? What is this, a joke? Why, it's a watch. I'll say it's a watch. It's my watch. The watch I've been so worried about. Well, I'm glad you got it back. Yeah, but why from a jewelry store? Maybe you had it fixed and forgot about it. Mm, certainly not. Do you think I'm feeble-minded? No, of course not. Guess I'd know if I sent my watch to a jewelry store. Well, you better look it over carefully, Major. Mm. Uh, open up the back. It sticks a little. There. See? Oh! Oh! Oh, me, I'm a... I'll kill her! I'll kill her! I'll kill her! 
Here, no, here, Major, here. I, I thought you weren't going to lose your temper again. Now, now, take it easy. Why, that's a picture of the bearded lady. Vandal! That's what she is, a vandal! So, that's what she was doing, snooping around my wagon the other morning, taking my watch so she could get a picture and drain the back of it. The nerve of that woman. I'll, now, Major, now calm down. Jerry and I have to go along now. Just take it easy. Remember, it's hard on your digestion to get so mad. I'll get even with her if it's the last thing I do. Well, she, she probably was trying to be nice, Major. But my watch, <laughs> the one that the king of Romania gave me, and now it's got the bearded lady's picture engraved on the back. <laughs> Come along, Jerry. Okay, Mr. Randall. Goodbye, Major. And I- I'm sorry. Sorry! Sorry, I'm more than sorry. I'm... I'm... I'm speechless! <laughs> Poor Major. <laughs> what a time he has. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, though, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do, Jerry. But we must never let the Major know he just can't stand kidding. that that uh, concludes the Major Might storyline. So, yeah, Ma- Major Might, was that his name? Might? Yeah, I thought it was Major Mike at first, but it's Major Might, like, uh, Might as in he's uh, small. Mighty, small but mighty. Yeah, no, he's got some stinking thinking going on, blaming everybody else. No, Might, like a dust problem. Might. might as Pardon? in like, Might. As in dust might small, not might yes. as in mighty. Oh, okay. Great. Might. My my point was he had some stinking thinking going on. Yeah. He thought she stole his watch, but he didn't. He misplaced it or he no, the had it lady, fixed. The bearded lady took it and had her face engraved on it. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Thinking, thinking, I'm telling you. It causes problems. Sure. So anyway, yeah, it looks like that that, uh, there, the second story arc for Jerry the Circus is, was shorter than the first one. So. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if they're gonna go to, you know, like, one and done stories, or if they're gonna keep going. But the next one... Johnny Bradley is ill is the name of it. Oh. I don't cool. remember who Johnny Bradley is. I don't either. So, I don't even know if he's been featured on the show yet. So, um, but anyway, thank you, Foxfire. Uh, I did rainbow kiddos, kiddos. Adorable. Uh, so, yes, I saved the file as kiddos, kiddos. You made one pink and one lavender. And then yeah. the regular rainbow colors, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I did the... Uh, I did an orange, I did a yellow, I did a pink, I did a lavender, a blue, a dark blue, a light blue, a perp, dark purple, a dark green, and a red one. The red one is the, the one that we got the teaser of tucked under the... Yeah, flipper. that's so adorable. So. Gosh. A lot of things are just adorable when they're small. Oh, yeah. Just tiny kiddos. Oh, yeah. See, kiddo mites. 
kiddo mites. Man. So there you go. Gosh. Uh, so anyway, all right. So here we go. Uh, we got to get uh, going with it. Uh, Jerry the Circus. Uh, next one is uh, Johnny Bradley is ill. Jerry Let's do it. The circus. Jerry of the Circus. Come on, going in the bus. Hello, Bumps. Can we come in? Well, looks like you're already in, Jerry. Oh, say, leave the door open. It's kind of stuffy in here. Sure. Well, Jerry, I want you to meet our new wagon mate. This is Carlos. Hi, you boy. Glad to meet you. This is my dog. His name's Ray. <laughs> Jerry, this is Alfredo. I'm sure glad to know you both. Jerry and Greg. We will all be friends, eh? I hope so. Well, these are the famous Bendini brothers. Their family have made that name famous for generations. Gee, really? Thanks, Bumps. I take my bow now for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> my brother never missed chance to take bows. Well, I'm always proud to know show people who have followed in the steps of their forefathers and have become such artists that their name has continued to be famous for generations. Yes, our father, he was a great artist, and his father and grandfather before him. When we were boys, our father made us work. Always we learn to balance, to take falls, to watch exact timing. Timing? Sure. You must learn exactly to be there the moment your partner expects you. A moment late, or a moment early, or if your partner is not braced, you both fall. Gee, that must be hard. No, it is not so hard. It takes only experience and attention. Never must we watch anything else that is going on when we are working. Remember how Mama used suddenly to scream when we were little. Then if we looked away, our father scolded us. <laughs> Or when we were balancing on the wire and he would shoot off a firecracker right under us. But didn't that hurt? <laughs> of course not. He would not do anything dangerous. But he would just test us to see we know how to keep our minds on our business. <laughs> oh, my golly. Look how late it is. Well, come on. Come on, Rags. we got to work. I'll come on over with Carlos and Alfredo. Okay. We'll see you later, boys. And remember, you go on at five minutes past three. We will be there. Be sure to catch our act. Don't worry. I wouldn't miss it for anything. <laughs> come on, boys. Come Say, what are these shiny poles for? We work with them. Oh, uh, do they help you to keep your balance? That's what they are for. 
What's that you're doing to those shoes? Putting rosin on them. But why? Well, if our feet didn't hold firm, it would be tough, eh, Carlos? When our balance go, it is bad. Quick as a flash, we must twist back. Sure, I know. Like riding a bicycle. Can you ride a bicycle? Sure, who can't? I got a bicycle you can't ride, I bet. Why, you trying to kid me. Oh, no, he's not. He means it. I bet I could. But, well, gee, I, I've been able to ride any bicycle I've ever seen without handlebars and, and anything. Wait till you get what you call uh, uh, a load of my bicycle. I bet I can ride it. It's a bet. Look behind that door and you'll find my bicycle. Oh, say. Gee whiz, it, it's a beaut. Golly, I, I never saw such a pretty bicycle. All shiny. Say, wouldn't I like to get this out on the road? So you think you'd like to try it, huh? You bet I would, say. But look, you, you haven't got any tires on her. No, she don't have tires. No use for them. What are you talking about? You got to ride her on a wire. See the grooves in her wheels? Say, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz, you fellas are sure getting a lot of fun out of me. You mind being kidded, Jerry? Oh, no, of course not. I, I just don't like to be so dumb. You're a good sport. Don't mind my brother Carlos. He all the time likes to kid people. Say, guess you fellas better hurry. It's late. Don't you go on at three or, or five minutes after? Golly, it must be way past that. What you say? No. No, no, it can't be. So late. Oh, no. And see, now we lose this job. What do we do, Carlos? I always say someday we kid ourselves right out of a job, and now we do it. <laughs> what you laughing at? You think it's funny we lose our job. <laughs> no. No, I'm sorry, but but you were both so funny. It's not three yet. You, you got time. I was just kidding, that's all. Sure. The kitty's got spunk, huh? Oh, you and me so scared I could hardly think. Well, I guess we had it coming. All right, Jerry, you win this time, but you wait. You just wait. Quick, come on. Get our things. I'll take the bike. You got the poles? Yes, I am all ready. Gee, I, I'd sure like to learn to work on a tightrope. It must be lots of fun. Yes, you can learn to walk on one wire easy. But wait. You see all the things we do on wire. They are not so easy. Hey, here's the pad room. You see, you have plenty of time. Good. Hi, boss. Shh, quiet, Rags. Well, you're next, boys. <laughs> Jerry and I will watch you, so you better be good. Ah, we bandinis are always good. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you at this time the world-famous bandinis. Those renowned artists who have performed before the royalty of several continents, who have been applauded around the world, the beautiful and talented Carmen and her two clever brothers, Alfredo and Carlos. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bendinis. Gee, are they really as famous as he says? Mm, yes, they are, Jerry. Gee, I can hardly wait. Say, isn't Carmen beautiful? <laughs> she certainly is. Look at her go up that ladder like an old deckhand. What a, a pretty parasol. Why do wire walkers always carry parasols? The women, I mean. Oh, helps them to keep their balance. Like the balance and poles for men, huh? Mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> She's a graceful little thing, isn't she? Almost like dancing, isn't it? Look, Carlos has gone up on one side of the wire and Alfredo on the other. Mm -hmm, looks like they're going out in the wire while she's in the middle. Yeah. But why is Alfredo carrying that funny chair out with him? Oh, no, unless it's just... Gee, a... look. Carmen is closing her parasol. She, she works without it, too. <laughs> I guess she's through with it, all right. She's thrown it down into the ring. Golly, you're a long ways down. No nest. Hey. Fonzie. Look at that. Is she really going to sit in that chair? It looks like it. But imagine balancing it up there on that wire. 
Golly. Oh, hey. She made it all right. Why doesn't she sit still? Look how they're swaying. I believe she's going to do stunts on that chair. She is. Look, standing on her hands. Golly. Uh, say, she's got nerve all right. Oh, say, she has. What's the matter, Rags? Oh, I see. No, you stay right here. Say, Bumps, look. That duck's loose. Huh? Oh, say, that is funny. Belongs to Johnny Bradley. He never lets her run around like that. Guess I'd better get her back. Here, that duck. Hey, say, Bumps, what's your name? It's Lulu. Here, Lulu. Nice, Lulu. Well, Lulu, guess I got you that time. Lucky you had that string around your neck. Now, where's your master? Oh, Mr. Bradley. Mr. Bradley. Hmm? Uh, 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 what? Uh, here's your duck, Mr. Bradley. Hmm? Oh, oh, yes, yes, to be sure. Uh, uh, thank you, boy. My name's Jerry. Oh, uh, Jerry. Uh, yes, yes, I, I'll remember. I Don't you I... feel well? Well? Well, of course. I'm quite fit, quite. You acted sort of, well, as if you didn't feel so good. Oh, nonsense. Fit as a fiddle. Uh, perhaps I just dozed a bit. Eh? Well, if you're sure you're all right. Uh, thank you, my boy, uh, for bringing Lula back. I can't imagine how she got away from me. Well, that's okay, Mr. Bradley. Well, if there's nothing I can do, Rags and me were watching the new wire act. Come along, Rags. Golly, I, I hope we didn't miss the bicycle stunt. Say, Bumps, did I miss much? <laughs> I'll say you did. <laughs> what an act. Aw, oh, gee, is it all over? Oh, just finished. Golly, and I missed a bicycle act and everything. Oh, never mind, Jerry. There'll be lots of times to see them again. From the sound of that audience, I guess the Bendinis will be with the circus for a long time. I sure hope so. Don't you, Rag? <coughs> it's about time you got your face washing and your ears. Ooh, gee, that reminds me, Jerry. I've been wanting to ask you where that key is to Rag's collar. Uh, he's got to be laundered before he goes out in front of another audience. Sure, I forgot it. Anytime you say. I don't see why you bother to lock that collar every time. Oh, I don't know. Dad gave me the collar, and, and it was kind of tricky-like and all. Well, the key just came with it, so I, I kind of like to use it. <laughs> sure, Jerry, I understand. Uh, we'll both get it rags right after the show. Oh, oh, here come the Bendinis again. Say, you were wonderful. Oh, you liked our act, huh? Liked it? Gee, it was marvelous. You still think you'd like to try and ride that bicycle someday? Oh, gee, I, I missed that part of it. I, I had to chase a duck that Rags was chasing, but, but what I saw was you, great. It's beautiful work, boy. <laughs> You're a true artist. And your sister, too. She's a... Uh, where'd she go? She go quick to dress. She is modest, not like us. We like to stand around and have everybody say how good we are. Yes. <laughs> you must meet our sister, Carmen. She wants swell girl. Yeah, I'd like to. She's one swell trooper, that's sure. I'll say. Thanks. Now, Carlos, you think they say enough nice things to us yet? Because I'm out and I think I'd better change. No, they not say enough. But perhaps we save some of it and go change now, huh? Then later they can come and tell us some more nice things. <laughs> <laughs> well, see you boys later. They're nice, both of them. They sure love to joke. Yeah, they're jolly folks. We're lucky to have them in our wagon. There goes Mr. Bradley with his duck now. You know, Bumps, I think there's something wrong with him. Hmm? What? Oh, I don't know. He, he acts so funny. Well, how do you mean? Well, it, as if he were sick or something. See, come to think of it, he hasn't looked too good lately. Oh, it's bad, too. He's not a young man anymore. Look how funny he's acting. He goes on now, doesn't he? Yes, in just a minute. Oh, Sir Johnny, is anything wrong? Uh, eh? Oh, no. No, of course not. I, 
I'm all right. Look, he most fell. Here, get some water, quick, Jerry. Here, now, what's wrong? You you look sick. No, I I guess I, I'm just faint. Well, uh, Jerry's getting you some water. Uh, I don't think you'd better go on for your act, oh, no, Johnny. No, I, I must go on. Hey, here's some water, Mr. Bradley. There. Is that better? Yes. Yes, thanks very much. I'll be better now. Please say nothing of this to anyone. I'll be quite all right. Well, of course, if you wish. Uh, yes, yes, I do. And thank you for your kind assistance. Come, Lulu. We, we must go on now. Uh, thank you again for your kindness. Isn't he funny? We didn't do nothing. Well, he's really sick. He was worried, wasn't he? Golly, I, I guess we'd better keep our eyes on him. He may need some help. I wonder why he's so funny about not wanting anybody to know about it. Say, Bumps, do you think he's in trouble? Uh, looks like this might be the beginning of a new story arc. Sounds like it. The acrobats. The acrobats might teach him some stuff. They might. That could be fun. Yeah, I think uh, it, I, I did see some of that uh, coming up. Jerry's going to be learning some tricks of the trade. And Rag's going to be walking on the old tightrope. Oh boy. So, uh, yeah, so this is a... Are you still, still enjoying Jerry, then? Yeah, he's fine. I mean, you know. Oh, I mean, it's, it's sad if Wormwood Forest is coming to an end. Yeah. We've still got Magic Island, but we might find something else, but I don't know. I mean, there's, yeah, there's plenty of the stuff out there in the Internet archives. I mean, oh, yeah. I was fond of the fairy tales we were telling, too, but anybody I don't know if, if we should go I'm into that or not we can eventually revisit some of the uh, um, you know since this is an all different show than what you were doing before we can eventually revisit some of the let's pretend episodes yeah you always like the let's pretend episodes they're fun stories made for radio there's tons of them out there they got all the slide whistle you could ever want. <laughs> they do enjoy using a slide whistle. It represents magic. <laughs> and sometimes falling. Yeah. Uh, so I think we should have just enough time to play our two 12-minute uh, installments. We might go over a little oh. bit of Magic Island. So uh, you ready to go to town with this? Let's go. I'm hoping there's going to be some magic, not just a ride in a boat. Yeah, well, we shall yeah, see. Yeah, let's go. Fourteen years ago, Mrs. Patricia Gregory's yacht was wrecked in the South Seas. Fourteen years, Mrs. Gregory has searched the world over in hopes she might find her little daughter Joan alive and well, though the world has always believed the child was lost in the shipwreck. Now the Gregory yacht, the Joan Gregory, is on the high seas, once more searching for little Joan. Captain Bradford is in charge of the cruise for Mrs. Gregory, and Jerry Hall, a young amateur radio operator from California, is with them. 
The yacht is five days out of Los Angeles, running through the South Seas. We find Mrs. Gregory, Captain Pex Bradford, and Jerry Hall in the chart room on the Joan Gregory. Gee, but it's great to be really in the South Seas with you, Mrs. Gregory. Now that Captain Bradford has quit being suspicious of me... You could hardly blame him, Jerry. You didn't know there was another radio in the country that would receive on that wavelength, much less transmit on it. Oh, forget it, son. I guess you'll do. I only hope we won't be disappointed. If we do locate this island and if the little girl on it is... Oh, if she only could be my little Joan. Now, Patricia, don't get too worked up over this story. But this is the real thing. I know it is. Nobody would make up a story like that about your little girl. And look at the way those mysterious radio messages have kept coming in every day we've been at sea. I know, Jerry, but people have made up some wild tales to try and get some of my money. You know, I've offered a big reward for news of Joan. It's swell you named this yacht after her. I've thought and prayed of nothing but Joan for 14 years. Now, I may be near her at last. Well, if there's any truth in this story, we'll soon know it. We're about 4,000 miles from Los Angeles. Are we getting close to the island? We're getting close to the spot on the chart where the old sailor said the island was, if that means anything. We've just got to find an island where he said it was. But the chart shows there isn't an island anybody could live on within 100 miles of the position the old man gave. Right, Jerry, and the chart is probably correct. We'll keep looking around. A lot of ocean in this vicinity. Then if there is such an island... Tex, you do think there's a chance, don't you? Now, don't get your hopes up. There's always a chance of anything happening in the ocean. Come in. Come on in, Skipper. What's on your mind? Radio. What about the radio? Message. What about? Sailor. Let's have it quickly, Skipper. More news about the island? No. Come on, Skipper. Out with it. What about the old sailor? Dead. Dead? Dead? No more news, eh? Nope. That all there was to it? Yep. Then... We know as much of as the old sailor will ever be able to tell us about his magic island and the little girl on it. I'm afraid so, Mrs. Gregory. But if the old man told the truth about the position of the island, we can find it easy enough. That all, Skipper? No. Got something on your mind? Yep. Let's have it. Come. Me? You. I'll be with you in a minute, Skipper. We've got a little work to do on this chart now. Now. Important? Very. Okay, you and Jerry work on that chart, Pat. I've got to go up on the bridge with the Skipper. Gee, Captain Bradford's sure a dandy fella, isn't he? I think so, Jerry. Uh-huh. I can see you do. Why, Jerry? Oh, I don't mind. It's all right with me. <laughs> well, thank you, Jerry. Oh, oh, that's all right. Say, there's something I don't quite understand about this boat of yours. Oh, yes? That funny old guy that was just in here and won't say more than a word at a time... He's the skipper, isn't he? Yes, and though he does have a peculiar way of speaking, he's the best yacht captain I've ever seen. Oh, sure, sure. Anybody can see he knows his business on the water. But what I mean is, well, you call him skipper and Captain Bradford captain. Now, all the boats I ever heard of, there was only one skipper and he was the captain. Or only one captain and he was the skipper. Or only one... Uh... Oh, now I'm all mixed up. <laughs> That's easy, Jerry. The skipper, Captain John Craig, is captain of my yacht. Captain Bradford's title is from the army, and he acts as master and owner's representative when we're aboard the Joan Gregory. Anything else you'd like to know about me? Well, gee, I don't mean to be rude, Mrs. Gregory, but you made me tell you all about myself 
And you even had my dad come down to the dock and asked him a lot of questions. So we did, Jerry. You must remember that you came to my house at midnight, a stranger. And surely you understand that in a case like this, we couldn't take any chances with you. Well, I'm taking chances with you. <laughs> I never thought of it just that way, but perhaps you are, Jerry. Very well. Cross-examine. Swell. Your house, your house was a funny place with a front door that took flashlight pictures of a fellow when he opened it. I have a great many valuable things in my home. Well, well, that part's all right. But how about the shortwave radio on your automobile? You know, it's against the law to have a shortwave set in your car, unless you're working for the government. Say, are you a G-man? Uh, no, no, I mean uh, a G-lady? <laughs> I'm afraid I can't answer that, Jerry. At least not until we know you a little better. In the meantime, you can safely look to Captain Bradford for all your orders. I'm glad to get that much of it straightened out anyhow. And now that you're satisfied as to my offices, we'd better study this chart as Tex told us to. Oh, may I ask you just one more thing about your little girl? Of course. Well, nobody knows exactly what she looks like now. But I've been thinking about that picture you showed me of yourself. You know, taken when you were about the same age Joan is now. Don't you think she would most likely look like that picture? Why, I suppose she might. Why do you ask? Well, to tell, to tell you the truth, Mrs. Gregory, I, I've been hoping she would look exactly like that picture. Uh -huh. Then if she'll only grow up to be as pretty as you are now, well, it's kind of nice for a fella to know what his girl is going to look like when she gets older. Jerry, Jerry, you're way ahead of yourself, I'm afraid. Why, you're just 16 now, and Joan would be barely 15. Well, 16's pretty old. I guess I know what I want. And when we find Joan, well, you see, I'll show you. <laughs> Jerry, you do help me a lot. I've been rather hopeless and doubtful about it all. You seem to be just taking it for granted that we're really going to find my little girl. Well, I've got a hunch. And when I get a hunch, everything's going to come out slick. Oh, Tex, what did the skipper say? What's wrong? The storm getting worse? Sounded like it when you opened that door. But the boat isn't rolling any more than it was. Well, Tex, what is it? You look so... Has something happened? I don't think so, yet. But if it hasn't happened, something is going to happen. What? The skipper took me up forward and showed me, well, things I'd never seen before. Is the storm going to be a bad one? Oh, that wouldn't make Tex act like this, Jerry. He's been through a lot of storms. But this is different. This is one storm we can't go through. What? Well, what do you mean, sir? Just what I said, son. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then we're in the same boat. Tell us what it is, Tex. Jerry and I aren't afraid. What's going on? I've been standing up there on the bridge with the skipper for ten minutes. The bow of this boat has been right up against what I'd call a heavy bank of fog, and... There we stay. Is the wind so high we can't make any headway? Did you ever see a bank of fog stand? Stand perfectly still in that kind of a wind? Tex, what are you getting at? A fog bank standing still in a gale. And the boat doesn't make any way? No, you might as well come on deck, both of you. Then you won't think it's just me that's crazy. Come on. Now, come up forward and see it for yourselves. Golly, whiskers! That's some squall, right? And we're running right smack into the center of it. I've seen lots of these. 
Let the skipper make everything fast and we'll go below and ride it out. You've never seen one of these. We've been right here with the prow of this craft hard against that fog bank for the last half an hour. And the engines are full speed ahead. You mean that fog is holding us here just like a brick wall? Why, that's impossible. I guess if the storm was hard enough, we'd almost stand still. We might, Jerry, but that isn't it. Even if that could be the case, wouldn't this fog move a little? Wouldn't the roll of the boat change? And look around you. Wouldn't the storm be going someplace? Golly gee, you're right, Captain. Look, Mrs. Gregory, the ocean is as smooth as if it had oil on it. Everywhere except right in front of us. And the sky is clear. There is something funny about this. What can it mean, Tex? I never heard of anything like this before. It's weird, uncanny. Just a smooth mountain of fog ahead. Dead ahead. We're on the edge of a roaring storm, and yet we can't be. We're all clear around us. The motors are nearly tearing the boat to pieces, yet we don't move. What is it, Tex? What is it? Now, don't get excited, Mrs. Gregory. I guess nothing can happen that the skipper and Tex and I can't handle. I'm not exactly afraid. No, nor I, but I'd like it better if we could understand it. Will you let me try something, Captain? I've got an idea. That's one more idea than I've got. Go to it, son. Well, signal the engine room for full speed astern, and let's see what happens. I never heard of a storm that you couldn't run into or out of or around or away from or something. We'll try it, Jerry. Full speed astern it is. Now they're coming. It's pulling hard astern now. But we don't move. The yacht acts as if she was tied up by the bow. We don't move, Tex. We don't move. Steady, Pat. Don't go to pieces. Well, Jerry? That didn't do any good, did it? I give up. There must be something to do. This can't be real. Gee, that's funny. The storm stopped. And the, the engines have stopped. Everything has stopped. Why, there, there isn't a sound. That fog is standing perfectly still and straight, like a gray cement wall. Only a little tiny piece of fog floating off into the still air. This, this is getting kind of spooky, isn't it? There's something mighty wrong here. I don't like it. But what can we do? Yes, Skipper, what is it now? Stopped. What stopped? Everything. Generators? And everything in the engine room? Everything. I'll get on the radio and see what I can raise. Stopped. Well, we can run it from the batteries. Dead. Battery's dead, eh? Then every instrument on board is stopped. You stay here and stand watch, Skipper. Hold the crew ready. I've got an idea. Come back in the chart room, Pat. You too, Jerry. All right. What are you thinking of, Captain Bradford? Look at this chart. Oh, our position doesn't mean anything if the instruments are out of order. But the instruments were all right just as we hit this, this thing, whatever it is. We haven't moved since. There. Right there is our exact position. Look at it. Oh, I see it now. Look, Jerry. We're there. This is the spot. Then our position is right. The old sailor said, yeah, the ship won't move. That bank of fog. Sure it is. It must be. This is the magic island. They found it. They found the magic island. It's happening! Ow. It's yeah. happening! Yeah. Right? right? <laughs> yeah, I just... I guess I have my headphones up too loud. Um, but, uh, it's but happening! You, yeah, so if you're ready, we'll just uh, go ahead and run the, the next one. Let's do it. 
All right, here it is. It all started in Los Angeles when Jerry Hall heard a radio broadcast over his shortwave set. The report said that an old sailor had been picked up from a small boat in the Pacific Ocean and had told a fantastic tale about a little white girl living on a mysterious island in the South Seas. How near the truth the old sailor was with his island of weird happenings, we shall soon know. Mrs. Patricia Gregory has come to the South Seas in her private yacht, hoping to find some evidence that there is such an island and her little lost girl living on it. We find Mrs. Gregory, Captain Tex Bradford, and Jerry talking excitedly in the chart room of the yacht. Now take it easy, Jerry. There's no such thing as a magic island or a magic anything else that I ever heard of. Then how do you explain the yacht being stuck for an hour, held right here by a bank of fog? We can't go forward or stern, and every instrument on board is dead. Jerry's right, Tex. There's more to this than just a storm or a fog or a... a well, there is. All right, all right. Now, Patricia, you just hold everything while we look this over. I don't want you to get your hopes up too high about this thing. But this mysterious fog bank is right on the spot where the old sailor said the island was. That's the whole trouble, Jerry. All we've got to go on is what some old sailor said. But the radio report said he'd been a junior officer and a navigator. Sure. He'd know about the position being correct and all that. If he was in his right mind, yes. Don't forget that he was an old man, sick and delirious. Nearly dead from exposure and fatigue. When he was picked up out of the open sea, he had no map, not a scrap of paper to verify the position. But it said he left a diary on the magic island and that he kept it carefully for every day he was there. Then why did he leave this diary on the island? Well, maybe he was a prisoner there and had to leave without taking anything that belonged to him. Oh, stop romancing, Jerry. You're raising Mrs. Gregory's hopes too high. She's been disappointed so many times in all the years she's been trying to locate this girl. I know that. But this is near the spot where you were shipwrecked 14 years ago, isn't it, Mrs. Gregory? It couldn't have been very far from here. I remember our position so clearly. Well, the old sailor said we'd find something mysterious when we got to this spot. Well, gosh, that fog bank is mysterious enough. So part of the story is true anyway. And if that much is true, why can't it be possible that Joan, my little girl, is on the island? We've got to find out right away. All right, the yacht won't move and the fog won't move. If there was an island behind that fog, we couldn't get to it. I know one thing we haven't tried. Oh, then let's try it. Try anything, only do something. Captain Bradford, you told me that ray generator thing of yours would penetrate fog, didn't you? Why, of course, Tex. You've been waiting a year for an opportunity to try your fog-penetrating machine. We can look right through the fog with that, can't we? Well, we could if we could use the machine. Oh, golly whiskers, that's right. The machine won't work. No generators. Won't the batteries pull it? They would, but they're dead, too. But we just can't sit here and do nothing. Oh, I'm sorry, Pat, but there doesn't seem to be anything else we can do until that fog lets go of us. Oh. Now, look, fog can't hold a big boat. That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, it adds up wrong for me, too, boy, but there it is. The bow of this boat is held tight against a bank of fog, just as solid as if we were anchored to a concrete wall. The engines won't push us through the fog, and they won't pull us off the fog. Every instrument on board is dead. Even the radio tubes are paralyzed. Then there's only one answer. Electricity of some kind. But where would the electricity be coming from? No good, Jerry. We might be over a magnetic field of some kind that would throw the instruments out of order. I've seen that happen in a lot of places. But enough real electricity to hold a heavy boat powerless? No chance. Oh, yes, Skipper? Hurry. What's up, Skipper? 
Loose? I think we are myself. Drifting. We're drifting, Skipper. The yacht's loose. Yep. Get the engineer quick. Full speed astern. Hold her there till we get away from that fog or whatever it is. Aye. Come on, folks. Let's go topside. Oh, boy, oh, boy. This is sure swell. It's certainly uncanny enough, Jerry. Pat, Jerry, come here. We're backing away all right. There stands your fog bank. Now, we can start your fog light gadget and try it out. You think we can actually see through the fog with it, Tech? I know we can. But wait till we're safely away from that, that, that gray wall. Here comes the skipper on the run. I wish he'd get excited enough to say more than one word at a time. Hush, Jerry, he'll hear you. Generators. How's that, skipper? Generators. Uh, they working all right now? Aye. Then the other instruments ought to be all right, too. Let's check our position again. Checked. Good old skipper. Where are we? Here. Oh, we know that, but where's here? Here, show us on the chart. The exact position is important, you know. Uh, here, Jerry, help me hold this chart still. There. Look, Mrs. Gregory, we're right where the old sailor said we'd find the magic island. Yeah, everything working now, Skipper? Is the radio okay? Aye. Thanks, Skipper. Hold her steady now. Just keep the motors idling. If we drift away a little, let her drift. Aye. Can I try the radio now? No, Jerry. Let's don't call anybody in yet. No, Jerry. If we have found something unusual, let's work it out for ourselves. Oh, heck. I'm sorry. But I... Well, I just thought of starting the radio. Well, let's try my fog ray first. I've got my doubts about that thing over there. You and Pat stay here and watch that fog to be sure it doesn't disappear on us. Wake us up out of all this nightmare. I'll get my machine. Gee, Mrs. Gregory, this is wonderful, isn't it? Just like a fairy story, Jerry. And I'm so happy. I can't explain why. There isn't any real reason for it yet, but my little Joan seems so close now. For 14 years, I've never lost hope that she might be alive and well somewhere. And now... Oh, Jerry, if it could only be... I know how you feel, Mrs. Gregory. Kind of empty one minute and full up the next. Like an elevator running up and down in your windpipe. <laughs> I couldn't have put it just that well, but that's exactly the way I feel. Come over here, kid, and give me a hand with this thing. Coming up, sir. Boy... That's a heavy contraption. Captain Bradford has been working on it for years, and he expects it to do anything with fog. Yes, it does work in fog. You know it does, Pat. Didn't we use it off San Pedro and see right through the fog when it was so thick the pelicans were using fog horns? <laughs> I don't remember the pelicans, Tex. Well, I'll show you in a minute. Here, loosen those wing nuts there, kid. Hi, I, sir. And don't you mind Mrs. Gregory, Tex. She's only kidding you because she's nervous, and she's just got to do something. You're a sweet boy, Jerry. You do understand, don't you? Well, I know how you feel. She's my girl, too, you know. Will you two quit talking about something that hasn't happened yet and lend a hand here? We're about ready to try it out now. Our fog bank hasn't run away on us, has it? Looks just like it did when we ran into it over an hour ago. Run the cabin, Jerry. Take this line and cut it into the power plug, will you? You bet I will. Oh, Tex, maybe there is an island behind that fog. The old sailor could have been right, you know. Hurry and try it. Your tubes are warming up now. It'll be ready in a second. Is it all ready to go now, sir? All set, Jerry, and you can be the very first to try it if you want to. Oh, golly, whiskers. Can I? Hurry, Jerry. Yes, sir. Well, what do I do? Well, now, look. Extend that telescope out as far as you can. 
That's right. Then get down behind it. Put your shoulder against the stock and sight it just as you would a rifle. And when the fog begins to open up for you, run the telescopic sight in and out till you get the focus. And you'll see the ocean on the other side of that fog. Boy, this is sure exciting. There now. I've got my sights on the fog bank. How's the visibility? Uh, can't see a thing but a gray wall. Well, hold your sights there. I'll run this barometer for you. Hold it steady now. Tell me the minute the fog starts to break for you. Oh, hurry, Tex, hurry. How's that, Jerry? No, not a thing yet. I've run through the whole visible spectrum. Here, let me take the sights, Jerry. That'll be about it. There, now gently back so and... Have you got it? What do you see, Tex? Well, I guess that's that. Oh, Tex. Four years' work. It's no use. I'm sorry, Pat. Gee, Captain Bradford, I'm sorry, too. Well, I've been disappointed before, son. That was about our only hope, though. There may be something wrong with your instruments in that gadget. Can you check them? No use, Jerry. They check themselves. When you hear that high hum the oscillator gives off, everything's working. Every single unit in that layout is connected in series. And it either works or it doesn't. But I can't understand it, Tex. The ray worked so perfectly off the coast of California. That fog looked just like this one. Why wouldn't it work here? Hold everything, folks. I've got an idea. Well, there's plenty of room for it here. You remember when we all came up forward here? When the bow was stuck right into that fog bank and the motors wouldn't move the boat either way? Yeah? Yes, Jerry? We all crowded right up on the forward end, right against the rail, didn't we? Go on, son. What are you getting at, Jerry? That fog was right against us. It didn't seem to blow around us a bit. But you could hear the rush of the heavy wind. I noticed that. Well, I didn't at the time, but I remember it now. Go on, Jerry. Well, that fog was right against us. You could feel it. We were there for minutes and minutes. But when we got away from there, after we had been standing in the edge of a fog, our clothes were perfectly dry. Jerry. Why, he's right, Tex. Our clothes were dry, and we did stand right in the fog. You've hit something there, kid. Sure. And look, Captain Bradford's fog machine worked all right off the coast of California, you said. Why, of course. It worked perfectly, yes. That machine will cut a pass through the heaviest fog I ever saw. But it wouldn't go through this stuff. So there's only one answer. That fog out there is not fog. But in the middle of the ocean, it's got to be fog. What you suggest is impossible, Jerry. Why, why, it's fantastic. Look at Captain Bradshaw's face. He was laughing at my magic island a little while ago. But he's not laughing now, is he? I tell you, there's something mysterious here. And that fog is not fog. Magic fog. So there we go. Uh, we're at the magic that's, island. It's not fog. It's magic. That's what I said. I thought it's magic fog. Yeah. And uh, Tennessee typed uh, for everybody JNH, 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 JNH on my computer. 
I know. I know what that means. That means, where's my mom? Where's my mom? Where's my mom? Um, I think it stands for just now hungry. <laughs> just now hungry. Just now Could hungry. Be. Just now hungry. Just now hungry. Because uh, it's be. getting close to their dinner time. But yeah, so, uh, well, I hope everybody's enjoying this. I think it's kind of fun. We got two Jerry's. We got two Jerry's on our show. We got Jerry the Circus and Jerry Hall. Not to be confused with Mick Jagger's ex and uh, yeah. Rupert Murdoch's current. <laughs> oh gosh, how do you go from Mick Jagger to Rupert Murdoch in a in a, in your love life? Yeah, I mean I'm not saying Mick Jagger's like. I I think he might be a little overrated and he's kind of creepy, but I mean Rupert Murdoch, that's seriously like going from Fonzie to you know Ralph Mouth. Yeah. So. Jerry Hall is a lovely girl. I don't know much about her um, her she romantic played, she life. She's Batman. Just strangely willowy. She was in Batman uh, with uh, she was uh, the Joker's girlfriend with uh, oh was Mike, she? Michael Keaton and uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. And he she says you look fine, and he says I didn't ask. Uh, he said what? I didn't ask. <laughs> so anyway yeah there you go um, we're at the end of the show we got two minutes to go check out it came from Cleveland tomorrow we have a huge show we'll be talking about the X-Files and uh, Alfred Hitchcock uh, I've got a couple of birthdays I'm going to be talking about Char Charlize Theron and uh, Justin Thoreau uh, one of those names I said properly and uh, <laughs> Miles is going to be talking about a Star Trek episode, and we're back on uh, to the Twilight Zone. And I believe Mr. Joey Word will be joining us a week from tomorrow oh, on gosh. the show. Oh, week. We, yeah, a week from tomorrow. So he got in touch with me. Cool. And, uh, tomorrow's too jam-packed, uh, but we'll uh, we'll plan a show with him for next week. But, um, yeah. yeah, so that's it from us, uh, uh, from me. But, Suze, what do you got while we wrap things up? Uh, no, I just, when you were saying all that, um, I'm a fan of, it came from Cleveland, love listening to it. Um, first time listener, long time, first time caller, long time listener. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, we've got movies with, uh, Johnny Depp and the astronaut's wife with Charisse Thalon. I can't say her name either. Um, Charlize Theron. Theron. Yeah. Okay. But, um. Yeah, we've got uh, a lot of X-Files videotapes for sale, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, uh, practice gratitude and, uh, have a good week and message me on, uh, Discord or something. If you Sounds got something good. to say, but, uh, yeah, that's about it. Time for go to bed. <laughs>